As you find your seats, if you'll turn your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, uh, Luke chapter 9, as we continue our sermon series, The Journey to the Cross. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, no worries, there's one there for you, I trust, uh, right in front of you, in front of the pew, in front of you. Uh, but as we take this journey, we got to realize that really, in many ways, the entire story of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, is going to be basically a journey to the cross. It's a journey that God will himself will make for us, for us to have a relationship with him, for us to be brought into a, not only a relationship and fellowship with him, but to be loved by him, to be forgiven and free. And so as we've been journeying, preparing for the Holy Week and Easter, what we've been doing, we've been journeying together, uh, what we call this journey to the cross, we've been using as our path, our scriptural road, uh, one chapter. We've been looking at Luke chapter 9. Because in Luke chapter 9, it's, it's like the turning point of the Gospels. It's the same that you'll see in Matthew 16 and, and Mark 9. and those Gospels, it's a similar story. It's this turning point. And what is the turning point of the journey of the cross? Well, and we saw in week 1, the turning point was a confession. Jesus was asking his disciples. He's saying, hey, what's the word on the street? What are people saying who I am? And there was confusion back in Jesus' day. Some thought, well, maybe he's like one of these prophets that's come up from the dead, like Elijah or, or John the Baptist. But then he makes it personal. And by the way, this is so important for all of us. Who do you say Jesus is? At the end of the day, that's going to be so important for all of us, right? So he's asking the disciples, well, who do you say I am? I mean, there's a lot of confusion on the streets. And then Peter just knocks it out of the park. It's so beautiful. You got all this confusion, and he turns it into a confession. He says, you are the Christ, which is basically saying you are the Messiah. You are that chosen one. You are the long-awaited promise that has finally been delivered. You are that Christ, the Christ of God. And so in the reality of Jesus, Jesus says, you know, it's such a blessed thing to say this. And as soon as it's proclaimed, you are the Christ, he starts saying very specifically, hey, I'm heading to a cross. This is what's going to happen to me. We're going to Jerusalem. My life is going somewhere. I was born to die. Uh, this whole plan of redemption is being fulfilled. And it's interesting, in Luke chapter 9, it says he, like, he sets his face in that direction. He puts his game face on. Jesus puts his game face on saying, okay, it's on. I am the Christ. That's exactly right. So that was the turning point. And then last week we looked at this, a beautiful exclamation point. You had Peter's confession. Now you have the Father in heaven who uh, is going to, Jesus is going to take the disciples, the uh, three, the close three, Peter, James, and John, up onto this mountain. And before him, Jesus' glory is going to be revealed. And he's going to be transfigured before him. In the midst of all of that, you're going to have like this Elijah, this prophet of the Old Testament, and Moses, the lawgiver, appear. It's an incredible scene right there uh, outside of, uh, in Israel, right outside of Jerusalem. And it was at that time that the Father could no longer contain silence. And he proclaims this exclamation point. It's not about Moses. It's not about Elijah. This one over here, Jesus. This is my son. He is the chosen one. Listen to him. You want to figure out the Bible? Listen to him. You want to figure out the prophets? It's all about him. You want to know about the law? It's all about him. He's the one who fulfills it. You want to figure out about your life? It's all about him. Who's the one we should listen to? Jesus. He's the one alone. So you have this exclamation point. 
And so now, right on the heels of that, you have the fact that the disciples, what we're going to see, is missing the point. In the midst of all that, we have the disciples, those closest, missing the point. How do they do that? Uh, can you, have you not entered into conversation? Conversations sometimes can turn in an awkward way. Can they not? I'm the king of them. I always use too many words. Many conversations I go, go in an awkward way. They could be awkward because of content, the things that you are saying. Uh, they could be awkward because of timing, the timing of, of hearing those things um, or saying those things. And I got to tell you, guilty is charged, and we're going to see it in the disciples. Man, talk about a dumb conversation they had. Has anybody here been involved in a dumb argument? Okay. Uh, if you haven't, you're either not living, don't have a pulse, you're clearly not married. Um, um, but anyway, what, are you, what is worth arguing about? Have you ever been, like, arguing and, like, deep into it? Like, it's not even worth this, but we're still arguing. I'm upset. I'm arguing. Uh, you get all worked up and you get all angry. And you're like, why am I getting all worked up? This is absolutely stupid. I mean, it's almost comical. When you start looking at some of the things, the ones you love the most, argue over. Really? This is what we're going to spend time arguing about? And how about an ill-timed argument? Not that any of you experience those, but maybe uh, on your way to a funeral, you start arguing over something stupid. Uh, or maybe during your kid's recital, uh, you know, you start having a meltdown about something stupid. And I know this is hypothetical for many of you, but, you know, but Jesus is disciples. In the midst of all that they were seeing, they weren't exempt from incredibly dumb arguments and incredibly ill-timed arguments. So as we are making our way through this sermon series, right, Journey to the Cross, we're going to get Jesus' disciples and they have some of the most stupid, ill-timed argument. What are they arguing over? I mean, what have they seen so far? It's been amazing. So what do they break out in an argument about? I mean, they just saw Jesus' glory. I mean, and previously in this, although we didn't look at it, he's fed 5,000. I mean, Jesus has done such amazing things, and yet what will they argue about? Jesus is now talking about some death he's going to have. He's going to be betrayed. He's going to be uh, turned over to those who are going to kill him. In the midst of all this conversation, they start arguing about who is the greatest. What? Who's the greatest? They've seen the greatest. And it, 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 listen, this is so important. You can be so close and so far away, right? I mean, you can be right there. You have a front row seat. These guys had a front row seat to what Jesus was doing. They were so close. Peter, James, and John, they saw the glory of Jesus. They saw things that no other man had seen. And yet, what are they arguing over? <laughs> Who's the greatest? Have you ever been to a world-class art museum? I'm telling you, if you haven't, go. I mean, maybe if you go to New York City or a big city, uh, been to the Louvre, uh, I've seen the David in Florence. I've been able to see some of the most amazing pieces of art. Uh, it just, it just, all I could picture in this argument was like uh, a group of third graders that go on a field trip to the Louvre, right? And they spend the day looking at the greatest works of art that we can gather. And they're just absolutely amazing. And Mona Lisa, I mean, they're all, they're all there. And they get in the bus afterwards, and they start arguing who has the greatest stick figures. I mean, who, who can draw the greatest? Like, seriously? You just saw that? You just were there? You, you were with Jesus, and now you are arguing who is the greatest? Are you kidding me? So what we're going to see today uh, as we finish up chapter 9, we're going to see four things. And it's missing the point. It's missing the point of greatness. They missed the point completely. 
Interestingly, missing the point of community. What is community all about? Missing the point of power, how God has given us to power and how to use them, and then missing the point of following Jesus. So let's look. We're going to turn to Luke chapter 9. Uh, I'm going to pick up right where we left off last week in verse 46. Uh, we're going to read through the end of the chapter uh, in verse 52. But let's be mindful, although this is the turning point in Luke's gospel. This is a part of God's holy and errant word. It will never lead us astray. Uh, so this is God's word, not just for them back then, but for you and me now. Hear the word of the Lord. Luke 9, verse 46. An argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their heart, took a child and put him by his side. And he said to him, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you, among you all, is the one who is great. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face toward Jerusalem. We talked about that. That's the whole point, right? Here he goes. And he set messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him, interestingly, because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, these are brothers, brothers of thunder, uh, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he returned and rebuked, he turned and rebuked them. And they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the, be the de dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, we thank you for the incredible word that you have given us. Uh, we thank you so much for where we are in Luke's gospel, Luke 9, and uh, God, this uh, journey to the cross. And Lord, how humbling it is to see your disciples who were so close to Jesus and yet sometimes so far away, who seem to sometimes grasp it with such beauty, saying, you are the Christ, and seem to miss it with an argument of, who is greatest? Oh God, I know that you have something for each one of us here today and those watching online because this is your word. It never comes back void. It always produces the fruit that you desire. 
So God, come and empower the preaching of your word, empower the listening of your word, empower the application of your word for your glory and our good. God, speak through a broken sinner like me who desperately needs to hear it. That God, give us ears to hear your voice, minds to understand this, God. There was confusion. There's some confusing things here. God, give us hearts of faith that would embrace this truth. But God, may your spirit be so powerfully among us that we walk out of here different. We walk out of here as your disciples, desiring to advance your kingdom. Give us feet to walk in a manner worthy of your name. The things that I say that are wrong are merely my opinion. May those things fall away and be forgotten. But God, build your church today. Build your people. And God, receive glory. And God, uh, help us to be a blessing to others. We pray all this in Christ's matchless name. Amen. First thing we're going to see in this passage is it's amazing. It's almost comical, is it not? Here you have all these great things, and what is the argument that breaks out? It's completely missing the point of greatness. I mean, these guys have been around greatness like never have been seen before. I love what Peter says, what they had experienced and seen. Angels had longed to look into. I mean, this is the time of redemptive history that God himself was coming and making all things new. And it was so glorious that even the heavenly hosts were like, man, to see God become man, to see what God is going to do to rescue us, this is absolutely unfathomable. God put on flesh. I mean, God himself, the eternal one, becomes incarnate. How can this be? I mean, the wonder, the awe of the whole thing. And yet, they're like, who's the greatest? I'm better than you, man. I mean, he likes me more. I'm telling you, he... They, they, they got the bumper sticker on the back. Jesus loves you, but he loves me the most. You know? You may be okay, but I'm the greatest. You know? I mean, it's just the whole Muhammad Ali thing. I, I'm the greatest in the world. And this is coming from the disciples. You want to say, hello? Have you spent any time with Jesus? I mean, is there any aroma of Christ on you? Have you, have you seen him work for a nanosecond? What are you arguing about? And so what he does, he's the greatest teacher ever, but he's more than just that. He takes a child in his midst and says, hey, you know what it's like? It's like a childlike faith. I mean, this is, this is, this is different than you think. You've got to become like a child even to enter the kingdom of God. If you want to you talk about greatness, let's just talk about childlike wonder and awe. How can you not be in wonder and awe of who Christ is? But then he says these things. It's incredible. The least and the last. You want to be great? It's about being least and last. According to Scripture, Mark uh, again, I told you this last week. What's beautiful about these texts is the fact that this story is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Those are the synoptic gospels. They all will give you a little bit different color, a little bit different flavor. If you start lining these up together and you read the story in a whole, it's, it's even more beautiful. But as we read those things together, you see, you want to be great, the least and the last are the first and the greatest. Let me read to you out of Mark 9. Mark 9, 35 Jesus actually sat him down. Uh, we learn in other texts, they were back in Capernaum. Jesus sits him down. He calls together the 12, and he says, anyone who wants to be first must be very last. <laughs> you guys are talking about the greatest? Get in the back of the line. You want to be first? You got to be last. And then Luke will tell us, as we read in, in 48b, for he who is least among you uh, all is the one who is great. In God's economy... Greatness is about the least and the last, those in the back of the line, those uh, who are humble, 
those who are not filled with pride. That's what these disciples were. They were filled with pride even then. But that's not this gospel, the good news of Christ. We are called to be humble. Um, the humble are the greatest in the kingdom of God. Why? Because it reflects who Jesus is. Matthew, in his rendition of this, Matthew 18, 4, says there, this, Therefore, whoever takes a humble place becomes like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus connects some dots. He connects it to the child. He says, hey, you want, you want to get this greatness? You've got to be humble. Humble like a child, with childlike faith. That's the greatest in the kingdom. Wow, it's incredible. Then he says, if you really want greatness, you've got to be a servant, and a servant of all. Uh, that's where we see in Mark 9.35. You want to be great, you've got to serve. But here's the beautiful thing. Do you know that Jesus never asked you to do anything he wouldn't do? Do you know the reality is, is he's going to say, you want to be great, be a servant? But guess what? That's who Jesus is. That's what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to serve. Uh, again, Mark 9.35, anyone who wants to be first must be very last, and you've got to be a servant of the all. If you want to do what Christ is most pleased with, come and help. Uh, come and serve others. Come and make life not so much about you. Get over yourself. Get over your kingdom. Get over your wants, your needs, all the things for you. Set your eyes on something so much greater, on Christ, on the kingdom, and start serving. Don't look around to be served. Uh, look for opportunities to serve. This is the way of Jesus. It is. And this is the way he, he lived his life. Matthew 20, 28, Jesus says these words. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Let that wash over you. Let that get into your pores. <laughs> Scripture says Jesus' own words out of his mouth is, listen, I didn't come to be served. And we want to hit pause and say, are you kidding me? You're the eternal one. You're the God in flesh. You're the creator. You're the sustainer. You didn't come to be served. I mean, there's no one who deserves service, glory, our lives more than you. And it's true. But you came to serve. You came to, to, to rub elbows with the broken. You, you came to touch the lepers. You, you came to, to, to put on a towel and wash your disciples' feet. You are the one who spoke everything into the existence, and yet you are going to be the servant of all. Wow. No wonder he who is least among you must be uh, a servant. That is the one who will be great. That the one who will serve. This is not only the way of, of Jesus. We see this as the way of Paul. We read through Scripture. Uh, Paul says something interesting I want to read to you. It's out of uh, the book he wrote to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians 9. Uh, Paul, who has a great pedigree in Jewish tradition. Paul, who has great degrees. Paul, who is a very smart man, incredible man. Um, he will say this in, in 1 Corinthians 9, this is 19 through 23. For though I am free from all because of what Christ has done, Paul says, I have made myself a servant to all. Why? That I might win more of them. I'm doing this for Jesus. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, but not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, 
that I might win those outside of the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Paul's saying, I'm going to show up. I'm going to be a servant to you. If you're a Republican, I'll be act like a Republican, a Democrat, uh, wherever you are. I'm not going to change my standings, my convictions, but I'm going to enter into your world. I want to serve you. I want to serve you. I, want to, I don't want to judge you. I want to be next to you. I want to love you. I want to be a part of your life. Uh, I, I want to hear your story. Uh, I, I want to understand world and your sandals and your perspective. I'm here not so you hear me. I'm here not that you serve me. I am here so I can serve you. Can you imagine Christ followers acting like Christ this way? Can you imagine if the church got serious that the greatest is a servant of all? The greatest is those who are rolling up their sleeves and making life a little easier for our neighbors and not just thinking about our own lawn, our own life, our own retirement, but investing in others. This is the attitude of us all. We should be servants. So they missed the point of greatness. They also missed the point of community in verses 49 and 50. I love it. Peter took center stage when asked, what do people, who do people say I am? Peter's the one who says you are the Christ. And now who's taking center stage were the other two uh, that were there on the Mount of Transfiguration, part of the big three. This is James and John. We're going to hear from them. Uh, that they are completely missing the point of community. Remember, these are called the sons of thunder. We're going to hear them thunder now. And also, if you remember at that Mount of Transfiguration, who showed up but Elijah? And they seem to have an Elijah complex. Stick with me. I know I just threw a lot out at you. Let's connect a few dots. Christians seem to be some of the most territorial bunch of people you'd ever want to meet. We seem to be the most judgmental, territorial if you don't fly your colors exactly the way I do, and if you don't believe exactly the way I do, if you don't, you know, see Scripture this way, or, or if you don't baptize in this way, or the Spirit's got to do this, or your worship's got to do that, I mean, let's just be honest with each other. We are a territorial bunch of people. Is it not true? I mean, we sometimes want to keep make sure our denominational swim lanes are very well de defined. Our theological swim lanes are very well defined. And heaven forbid someone comes and swims in one of our lanes that doesn't have the right stroke, so to speak. We have meltdowns, right? What are you doing? You're not doing it right. Well, we need to be a community that's welcoming without catering, welcoming without waffling. Can we do it? We should be the most winsome, welcoming community on the face of the earth without catering. Welcoming and receiving in Christ's name. This is the whole point. When it's talking about in Christ's name. It, Jesus says, as he puts a little child next to him, you are to welcome others in my name. In the name of Christ Jesus, you are to welcome and receive others. And as, as you welcome and receive others, you are welcoming me. Watch this. This is really cool. As you receive others in my name, welcome them. You're receiving me and you're receiving the one who sent me. You want to be Christ-like? You want to be all about God? It's the way you're going to embrace and love and receive others. Now listen, he says, if they're not against us, they're not against me, uh, they are for me. Um, and what does this mean? Really important. This means that we should find ways to connect with fellow believers. We should find ways to embrace, ways to unite, not ways to divide. Now I can't tell you that point without saying 
we do that without compromise. I believe in a biblical marriage that is given to us clearly in God's word. Um, I, I believe that God has some very clarifying things of what a family should look like. Uh, I believe very clearly in the way he says leadership should look like. Those aren't my opinions. These are things that we hear from scripture. I think we hold on to those things. But I think when people come into our name, uh, into our midst, in Christ's name, or as we go, we, we embrace and love what we can. Uh, we, we make sure we run to those things that connect us in Christ Jesus. Um, we are unapologetic about what we believe. This is God's word. It's holy and errant. I'm not going to stop preaching from it. Uh, this is truth. Uh, it's not some truth. It's truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. Hang on to those things without compromise. But be welcoming. No community. Uh, fly the flag of Christ. Interestingly, I had a conversation. Someone recently texted me and said, Jeff, would you meet with a, uh, a preacher from another denomination, a female preacher? Would you meet with her and, and kind of talk about life? I don't know what you think about those things, but would you meet with them? I'm like, of course I will. Are you kidding me? I'm going to say, no, I'm not going to meet with them. They're in another denomination. You know, they don't believe this. Uh, they don't believe that. Or, or, or they're this and they're that. Man, they want so much talking about Jesus. They want to talk about being a pastor. I'm going to talk to them. I have my convictions of uh, what a pastor should be, uh, following hard after God. Um, but let's make sure. You know, one of the things uh, we are, we're a non-denominational church. Uh, we're something called a Reformed Church. Uh, the leadership believes in Reformed theology. Some of you don't even know what that means. And that's okay. Um, but I want you to know it's going to come from the Bible. Um, my goal is not to convince you of a certain theological distinctive, although I'll preach from that, what I believe is God's word. My goal isn't to, my goal is to tell you about Jesus. And my goal is for you to love him deeply uh, and follow hard after him. Um, and we got to make sure that our community is a winsome community, unapologetically for Christ. Amen? And then they miss the point of power. It's very interesting how they miss the point of power. Now, Jesus was setting his face toward Jerusalem. He's passing through Samaritan, the Samaritans. It says something weird that they wouldn't receive him because his face was toward Jerusalem. You want to say, what is this all about? Well, remember, Jesus was heading. That's where Scripture says he would, the ultimate sacrifice would take place. We know from stories like the woman at the well that the Samaritans that are kind of a crossbreed of Jewish folks and kind of a conglomeration of different beliefs, they thought that, Really, Samaria was the place to worship. They thought that Samaria was the place. That was the center of where God has. No, that's going to be in Jerusalem. But eventually, Jesus is going to say, true worshipers, watch, stay with me. True worshipers worship Jesus in spirit and truth. It's not about location specifically. But the Samaritans are like, hey, man, he's, he's on his way to Jerusalem. We're going to kind of not be associated with that. So what do James and John, the sons of thunder, they just saw Elijah. They're thinking 1 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 1, verses 10 and 12. What did Elijah do when some people revolted against God? Guess what he did? He called down fire, toasted them right there. By the way, I was coming, to, I was coming a different way to church. I went by a church, I'm coming a different way here this morning. I went by a church that says, Jesus is the bread of life. If you don't have them, you're toast love you, you know, and there's some truth to that, you don't have your toast, but I wanted to go and put, but he became toast on the cross, so that we can enjoy the bread of life, now that's true, if you don't have Jesus, you're going to be toast, but 
I don't know if that's the message we need, really. And there's a, there's a point of power. And so here's what they're saying. God, the power you've given us, the authority, I, I want to bring judgment. I want to destroy. God sometimes gives you power of knowledge, and you want to destroy someone else's argument and crush them. Like God gives you some kind of power, and you want to use it to show how smart you are, how elevated you are, how high and holy you are. That's not the way of power in the Bible. That's not the way of power in the gospel. God doesn't give us power to just judge and destroy others. He gives us power to love and to build. And they completely missed it. He gave us power to save and to bless. Why? Because this is all who he is. Have you ever heard of John 3.16? Let me read it to you in the verse that follows. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not be toast. No, no. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now watch this. Watch verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. He didn't send Jesus to come and just point fingers. You're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. He didn't send Jesus, the holy spotless lamb of God, to come and to condemn the world. He could have, but he didn't. But in order that the world might be saved through him. He had a whole different agenda. He was going to use ultimate power not to bring ultimate judgment, although there is judgment with God, but he did it for grace and mercy and salvation. John 12, 47 will say this, If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The whole point. I'm going to come save. So missing the point of power. They were like, hey, you want us to call down some fire on these guys? We're going to toast them. Should we nuke them? Should we bring out the big stuff? No, let's love them. Come on. No, that's, that's not the point. Then they'll be missing the point of following Jesus. It's verses 57 through 62. And again, I could speak a whole sermon on this. I'm going to go a little bit quick because we've got communion. But it's, it's, a, it's an interesting passage because you can get tripped up. Because he has people who says they're going to follow him, right? The first thing we see is that this is not our home. Luke 9, 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, Hey, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, By the way, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What's his point? I'm going to follow you. He's like, okay, you're going to be a wanderer. You're going to follow me? This is not our home. This is not the goal. This is not the end. We're not trying to just rip apart Rome and take over here. You want to follow me? This isn't the last chapter. We're headed somewhere. And it's about losing yourself. It's about denying yourself. It's about seeking first the kingdom. Because this is not our home. Not only that, now is the time. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. That sounds like a reasonable request. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. That seems like a very harsh response. But as for you, go proclaim the kingdom of God. Now let's talk about that. Do you think that Jesus would say to someone whose father just passed away, hey, I'm going to follow you, but let me take care of a few things first. He would say, let the dead go bury their own dead. I don't think so. We don't know how old the father was. We don't know how many years this might be. I mean, this isn't necessarily saying that he had a quick funeral arrangement. He had to take care of, let me stroke a check to the funeral director and I'm on my way. No. Let me, let me just go home and just still take care of Pops. I've got an inheritance coming. might take a few years. Got to get a couple things in line. And he's like, listen, the time's now. Don't be saying I'm going to follow Jesus when things get a little bit better. 
then we see Jesus is the priority. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those in my home. Huh. Again, seems pretty reasonable. Let me go back and say goodbye, hug them all, say I'm following Jesus. Now, again, we don't know the time frame there, but there was a hesitation. And he's basically saying, I understand family, created it, awesome. You want to talk priority, seek first the kingdom. I mean, Jesus says some really harsh things. Want to be my disciple? Loving me compared to loving family? You should be hating them compared to me. I mean, this, this, this shouldn't be a rivalry. And of course, love your family, of course. But man, your Savior. Jesus is the priority. Then lastly, don't look back. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Wow. The question I have for you is, are you missing the point? I mean, where are you when it comes to community? Where are you when it comes to power? Where are you when it comes to greatness? You know, where are you when it comes to the reality of following hard after Jesus? It's interesting because as soon as the confession says, you are the Christ, he made it clear, I'm going to suffer and die. I'm going to be rejected. But here's what you got to do. Deny yourself and pick up your cross daily. Here's what you got to do. You, you want to save your life, you're going to have to lose it. You want to, if you, if you lose your life for me, you're going to find it. You know, here, here's, greatness is following me. Greatness is knowing me. Greatness is having your sins forgiven and being robed in Christ's righteousness. Greatness is being my disciple. Greatness is, is, is the reality that, that I am yours and you are mine. You want greatness? Greatness is in Jesus. Don't miss the point. How is it with you? We're going to celebrate that greatness with communion. We're going to remember that Jesus is the greatest. We're going to be remember the greatest of sacrifices, the greatest of promises, and we're going to be strengthened for the journey home. But how is it with you? How is it with you? Are you so close to Jesus and maybe like the disciples yet so far away? Don't miss the point. For sinners, for the lost and the broken, Jesus came to rescue, to give us life and life abundantly, to give us a kingdom that is worth pursuing that's so much greater than all the world has to offer. Can I ask you a question? What good is it to gain the whole world and to lose your very soul? But he who did not spare his son, but gave us his son, will he not freely give us all things? Let's come to the table and rejoice. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that your love and grace and mercy didn't drive out those disciples arguing who is the greatest. That God, that your patience with those who said, should we call down fire from heaven and toast them all? Uh, you didn't just walk away. You didn't throw up your hand, shake your head, and say, forget it. You loved us to the end. Loved them to an end, including a cross. Even at the very end, they just would deny and run away and yet you would never stop loving and giving. Oh God, Jesus, there is none like you. We love you. You have no rival. You and you alone are the greatest. And God, may we follow hard after you. God, would you remind us of your greatness and the work of your son through this meal? Would you strengthen us for the journey? Would you not allow us to be so close and so far away? We pray in Christ's name. Amen.